With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Dan Lloyd. Welcome to a special edition of Double Stint. I'm John DeGeese, joined by Daniel Lloyd, who is at Lamar. This is their first of a several special podcasts dubbed Double Stint at Lamar, as we'll be giving you updates throughout the week at Circuit de la Sarthe. Dan's on the ground there for us this week at uh, For Sports Car 365. How, how are you uh, this evening, Dan? Yeah, very well, thanks, John. We had a scrutineering day. It, it was a very strange scrutineering day. I suppose we're going to be using that word strange quite a lot this week. Um, but it, it was different in the sense that teams were getting their technical checks done at the circuit. Um, usually the uh, Place de la République in the middle of Le Mans would be full of people, full of uh, drivers as well and teams and and uh, uh, people people meeting the drivers and crowds and and, and just just all round fever but there has been none of that it was very uh, all concentrated on the circuit sort of subdued in a way but very focused on uh, what's going to happen over the next few days loads of on-track action coming up packed into a tight schedule um, it's very exciting everyone on the ground seems to be buzzing for it so um, yeah the atmosphere is great it Despite the fact that we've got no fans, it's a real professional atmosphere. Everyone seems ready to go. Yeah, I was about to ask you about the atmosphere. It must feel very strange being there without any fans. Like you said, scrutineering is usually in the center of Lamar. This time it was done at the track, much like it is during the test day. But I have to, I would have to think that just the the absence of of spectators, the absence of campers, um, the whole everything around it, it must be kind of a surreal feeling just driving into the the circuit um, in the morning. Yeah, I think I think a way of describing it is that on, on the face of it, when, when you turn up, it, it, it just seems like almost every other event that we've been to recently where there have been no spectators. I hate to say that because it is Le Mans, but just as you drive up and go under the, uh, the bridge under the Porsche curves, you when when you go through that normally you just sort of expect to see throngs of people walking all over the road cycling everywhere and and dust being uh, kicked up and you can see the tents you can hear the music but it's it's just none, none of that at the moment and and you know it's something that we've been getting used to obviously but um, certainly the fans are missed here um, the drivers mention every single time I speak to a driver they mention the fact that it's so quiet without the fans here. I suppose it enables them to focus a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's helmet down and just get on with the job. Um, but at the same time, it's uh, it's certainly against the history and, and the great prestige that this race has built up uh, to, to not have any fans here. But for sure, um, we'll be aiming to provide as much coverage as we can to, to give people an idea of what it is like on the ground. Um, and, and for sure, it's not I don't think it will really impact the racing because the, the on-track product, once you get down, once, you, once you, the trickle or waves, um, it's competition time. So, um, yeah, no, very unusual, very, very uh, different, but um, we're, we're, we're getting on with it. This is life as it is, and uh, we're making the most of it. And a very compressed schedule as it is. Usually the, this event has, is stretched out to at least nine, ten days. You add the, the Le Mans test day earlier in the month. Now it's just a matter of fact of getting everything in in the matter of four days with scrutinizing today on Wednesday, then on-track action on Thursday. Friday, which is typically a rest day, is now turned into more track action right before the race start and a, and a, and a shortened warm-up session. What, what have some of the teams been saying about this compressed schedule, Dan? And I, I, it must be an extreme challenge for not only the drivers, but I think the crew as well. No, absolutely. It's it's a huge, huge task. I mean, it, the fact that you mentioned we don't have a test day, 
a, a lot of teams come into Le Mans with new packages, with um, different uh, different drivers, people who haven't perhaps driven a certain package, a certain car on this track in, in, in certain conditions, and they're just coming in completely blind to it. I mean, they're, they're using as much data as they can from previous races. The, the European Le Mans series guys might even have the upper hand, the fact that they recently did a race into the night at Paul Ricard. Mm -hmm. But in general, it seems as though everyone's sort of going in, waiting to learn as much as they can on Thursday. But it's going to be just such hardcore number crunching all throughout the I don't envy the race engineers because they're going to have mountains of data to get through. And and the thing is, uh, Rick Mayer, the uh, head race engineer at uh, Risi Competizione, mentioned it in a story we had on the website earlier today. Um, he was saying that it, it's it's going to all come down to preparation and it's about turning up with the right package, not tweaking the package as you go along, which is what people normally do and, and can do throughout Le Mans month, as it usually is. So there's just so much to uh, to learn here. And it's really going to pay dividends for the teams that can think on the fly, that can react to conditions. Experience, I'm sure, will also be a huge factor here. So, um, yeah, when, when track action gets underway on Thursday, we'll soon be uh, seeing which teams have the quickest reflexes, that's for sure. Absolutely. And when the, the green flag does fly for free practice one, we'll have 59 entries for this event. That's a change from what we expected last week, which, which was initially a 60 car entry. Um, we had the last minute withdrawal of the of the Janetta. Um, you know, I, I saw a picture uh, at the track today of the garage still being there for the Janetta with the sign above it. You know, it, that shows how late, last minute of a, of a pullout that was for that that team. Um, what was the what's the mood been around that camp and and you know or, well there is no team there obviously but just the general atmosphere with with losing one of the LMP1 cars and and now really down to only five entries in that class. It's definitely a shame because I I was really excited to see what the Janetta AER package could do. Obviously Janetta's been here before but with the original Mechachrome engine which didn't work so well with that car. Um, and, and the AER over the first four races of the WEC did show certainly flashes of pace and, 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 and outright performance over a race it had the ability to do that. And, and I just really wanted to see what it could do over a 24 hour test, um, because you've got a question, how, how many more opportunities are we going to get to see this car in yeah. race trim? Um, so it, it was a real shame to see them step out, although I can completely understand the reasons that we that we were given. Um, quarantine rules coming back to the UK can be complicated. And for a team that's run by what uh, Janetta chairman Lawrence Tomlinson likes to call a group of garageistas, they're not they're not full time race team members like you guys from Rebellion Orica and, and Toyota are um, getting those guys back it, it would have created conflicts with Janetta's home championships their single make series which is such a huge part of their business and they just thought they didn't want to risk it and and I'm sure this would have been the last decision that Lawrence Tomlinson and Janetta would have wanted to make because Le Mans is a place where um, they really wanted to be able to thrive um, where they wanted to show the car off and more importantly I suppose be able to talk to people in the paddock because it's a huge meeting spot as well um, but no, the, that, that garage is now empty. I, I think it's, don't quote me on this, I, I think it's G-Drive's TDS racing car, the ELMS car, which now has an, an extra bit of space in front <laughs> of it in the pit. So I'm not sure which is which is the car on the other side. I, I can't quite remember, but those, those teams are going to benefit from a few extra inches of not having the Janetta there. So I suppose some positives have come out of it for other teams. But yeah, certainly a shame to see the LMP1 entry drop down to five. Yeah, and there's also been some driver lineup changes um 
in the last few uh, days. Can you give us an overview of some of the last minute uh, updates there, mainly in GTEM, I believe? Yeah, so a bit of shuffling in some of the uh, Porsches. So um, the main news, I suppose, to come from that is that Team Project One has two new drivers in its number 89 Porsche. Uh, that car was originally supposed to be driven by uh, Steve, the mysterious Steve Brooks and uh, Bruno Fretin and Benoit Fretin, an all French lineup. Uh, the Fretans unfortunately couldn't make it. I think there were some issues with them uh, getting settled into the car physically. So um, what Project One has done is they've uh, brought in Julien Piguet, who was going to originally drive for Dempsey Proton Racing in their number 99 car. But Piguet has been replaced by Andlauer, by Julian Andlauer, sorry, Porsche Young Professional, um, meaning Piguet can go into the Project One car now. So he stepped over. He's taken one of the Fretans places. The other one has gone to Andreas Lascaratos, an occasional prototype racer, done a bit of LMP2 in Asia, I think, and, and some LMP3 here and there. Um, so probably actually a, a bit more of an experienced sports car lineup for, for that uh, entry alongside Steve Brooks. So uh, yeah, just a few tweaks. Um, nothing uh, nothing too out of the ordinary, I suppose. It, it's quite late in the day, but I think we can sort of come to expect things like this to, to have to happen with uh, all of the changes that we've had and things we've had to get used to. Yeah, and there's not just been news with on-track activity set to kick off tomorrow. There's also been some off-track news. We had the confirmation on Monday of Alpine um, formally entering LMP1 next year, a story that we had up last week on Sports Car 365, thanks to uh, a scoop by uh, French publication Auto Hebdo. It's now official that the French manufacturer will be entering with a ex-Rebellion LMP1 chassis. And then we also have the anticipation of Peugeot announcing later in the week details on their uh, return to top-level prototype racing. Uh, what's your thoughts on, on those, Dan? And obviously, there's been a lot of speculation. There's a lot of changes in, in the works, I think, in terms of the top class and what the hypercar category will be starting next year. And now we have LMP1, we have a confirmed LMP1 car that will be grandfathered into the mix. Yeah, I think the, the, the fact that we're definitely going to have an LMP1 on the grid next year is, is a real significant one. Um, perhaps a little bit of a headache for the organisers of the WEC mm -hmm. because it means that they now have to think about what they're going to do with a grandfathered car. Um, obviously, if the field was all hypercars, then they could be um, sort of technically adjusted or, or whatever accordingly to the same set of regulations, whereas LMP1 is obviously a completely different set of regulations, albeit still prototype racing. But it, it's going to there are definitely going to be questions there and especially when Alpine is involved as a manufacturer or it's certainly positioning itself that way um, that's certainly going to raise a few more I suppose political questions with how those cars are, are managed um, Pascal Vassilon speaking earlier today he's the technical director of Toyota Gazoo Racing he said that in order for the hypercar class to survive basically and, and to not be killed off um, the grandfathered LMP1 cars need to not be at the same level, if, if that makes sense. So it's it's a real tough decision to make. With, but nonetheless, I think everyone is unanimous in supporting Alpine's decision to join. It's great that the Rebellion, uh, ex-Rebellion R13 uh, cars will be uh, campaigned next year. Uh, it's a package that I still think has got some some potential there. And, and no doubt people, it'll, it'll, it might be a nice sort of underdog story, I think, for people who love LMP1 and want to still cheer on some of the remnants of the class. And as you said, John, we've also got Peugeot announcing what they're going to be doing 
um, in, in the near future for endurance racing. Um, lots of things going around. We, we, we understand that it's sort of a, it's more of a hypercar route that Peugeot wants to take. We'll get confirmation of that at the end of the week. Um, and for sure, we'll be uh, in, in touch with the, the key players in that program to, to sort of discuss some of the details and to ask the questions about what's going to be happening there. Yeah, plenty to look forward there as well. Um, but going back to the, the on-track action for this weekend, there's also been talk about the equivalence of technology. That's basically the, the form of BOP that's regulating the, the current LMP1 hybrid, which is the Toyota, and the non-hybrids. And um, there's been talk of that still going on with, um, with the confirmation of the EOT coming out last week, the Toyota getting uh, a weight uh, increase of seven kilos and, uh, and uh, losing its one lap advantage over uh, the non-hybrids in terms of stint length. Um, I know you spoke to the Gustavo Menezes of Rebellion about that, and then also um, Pascal Vassalon had some comments about that. Well, I think that the underlying sort of fact almost whenever we talk about EOT is that Toyota has an inherent advantage in that it's a four-wheel drive car and Le Mans is is just the perfect track for that car almost so you can always count on Toyota having having a sort of built-in advantage almost in the way the car's designed but what's happened here with the EOT is that the stink length advantage that Toyota had and, and the advantages of the of the hybrid system almost have, have been kind of negated in a way that Vassalon even thinks that if the rebellions don't have any issues over the course of the race they they'll still be there in terms of performance um, I, I don't know how much I can weigh into that and um, it's difficult to tell but certainly uh, Toyota thinks that their weight increase is, is enough to cause a bit of uh, worry and then on the other side Rebellion um, seem to think that they'll be able to get uh, get a bit of time out of it as well and, and the stint length advantage for them is crucial as Menez has said um, because at least it puts them in a position where they're not losing minutes by having uh, extra stops because of their shorter stint length so at least at that at that stage it's it's as even as it has ever been and and i suppose we're closer than we have ever been to having a straight fight between the two at le mans obviously time will tell conditions will play a factor the toyota's got um its four-wheel drive that that's all sort of to be looked into more as the sessions go on but coming into it on wednesday i suppose there's 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 cause to be optimistic that we'll have a bit of a, a pace challenge from rebellion and let's not forget by collars as well they're looking for a very clean run with their gibson powered enso clm uh, they they had a, a it was a, a challenging showing at spa for those guys but they did manage to um, accrue quite a lot of laps and i suppose they're probably in a pretty good position to be able to get a decent amount of running at le mans so um, yeah here's here's hoping that lmp1 will produce some goods on on the last time this class will have the grid to itself at le mans yeah and i think the key will be for those non-hybrids to have a flawless run. I, I think that's really their only chance of potentially um, playing an upset role and, and taking the taking a win. But it's been very rare to see the LMP1 non-hybrids, the privateers, have a clean run in the WEC this year. I think Rebellion had a, a, had a couple showings where they had, you know, strong runs and no major issues where they were able to win. But Toyota just seems to always lurk there in the background and, and you never know what can happen. So it's going to definitely be interesting to see the outcome. And do you think we're going to expect to see some ultimate pace on, on Thursday or, or, or will it be really be waiting to, until the hyper pole on Friday? I think we'll start seeing some we'll start seeing some quick times on Thursday. It would be it would be foolish for some of the teams not to at least 
try and and get some some kind of um, decent performance there but certainly in the early stages free practice one and two it's just about learning the track I think or at least about learning the September conditions um I I would I would suggest I think like you John I think that Hyperpole is going to be where we ultimately see the pace I don't know if Toyota is going to have enough for a lap record I mean when you think about it they're what I think 17 kilos off what they were a couple of years ago so yeah. 17 kilos higher than they were a couple of years ago so that's really going to challenge them but who knows uh, 3 15 16 something like that I think we can imagine Hyperpulse certainly gives an opportunity for that to take place so um, yeah I, I think I think all eyes on Friday for the p- quickest purple times of the week yeah it's going to be pretty interesting to see that qualifying session so early in the day we're used to having qualifying right at night you know like around 10 p.m um you know there's usually multiple qualifying sessions but this new format with hyper is definitely gonna you know throw a new kink into the armor i would have to think yeah i think so yeah it's sort of an exciting element as well because i I think a lot of drivers have, have wanted to really showcase what they and, and their car can do around Le Mans, it, it can be a difficult one in qualifying usually to get, just to get a, a clean lap in, to be honest with you. But Hyperpole gives a bit of an opportunity for a show, um, gives a chance to to create some headlines in a, in a different way, I think. And, and it, it, it leaves us, leaves a bit of suspense for us that we, we know when we're going to see, um, see the, the pole lap go in and, and we can sort of, gauge how people are acting throughout practice up until that point so yeah I, I think it's going to be a, a, a nice addition to the event obviously once hyperpole ends we'll almost forget about hyperpole because it'll all be about the race but um yeah no, I, I, i'm interested to see how it pans out yeah but before then we have a busy day of track action on thursday i think 10 and three quarter hours of track activity between free practice and uh, um some qual some qualifying sessions I don't think this gives anybody really any breathing room heading into tomorrow. Um, what, what are your, what are the things you're going to be looking forward to the most um, as we, we get cars on track? What are you going to be looking at the, the, the most? I will be, well, I'll, I'll be looking out for cars on track because I've missed seeing cars on track at Le Mans. Obviously, we've had to wait a few extra months for it. But um, no, I, I think it's just going to be a case of seeing who, who gets out on track, first of all, and who manages to get a decent number of laps in. Um, I, I think a lot of the... Uh, am drivers in the LMP2 and GTEM lineups will be up uh, early on trying to get there um, as much track time as possible. Um, it, it, I, I'd, I'd like to think that it's going to be a bit of a sort of leisurely calm start to things. But then again, as soon as these guys pull the helmets on, it, it, that sort of all goes out the window. So, no, I think it's going to be pretty intense, actually, once once we get going. We've got um, a, a long free practice one from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then a, a short break and then free practice two will be from two until five. And it, it it's it, we will be going on into the night, not finishing until midnight. So going to be a long day for the mechanics. I hope everyone gets a good night's sleep because they'll certainly need it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's it for the opening day of our uh, of our first special Double Stint at Lamar podcast. I um, want to remind everybody that if you do have a question for us, um, feel free to uh, submit it with the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter or leave a, a comment in the bottom of this post of the post on SportsCar365. We'll do our best to answer your questions throughout the week as we have these special uh, uh, episodes um, giving you um, direct access to Lamar this, this year in this unprecedented uh, edition of the 88th running of the 24 Hours of Lamar. We'll be checking back in with you uh, tomorrow. I'm John. He's Dan. Uh, take care and uh, looking forward to seeing cars on track. We'll be right back.